Hello, welcome to episode 342 of Ferg on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And join me as always is the glorious and somewhat mellow League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Going pretty well. What made you think I was mellow? Hey, we just had a lovely, friendly, calm, relaxed chat. Yeah. There's nothing in the world that could could upset us at the moment, surely. No, I think that uh, everything's fine in the world. Yeah, um, you know, Tigers have missed the... Well, I was going to say they've missed the finals, but let's be honest, they're still mathematical. Are you prepared for what's going to happen? Like, physically? I know emotionally you're prepared, but physically? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I've been physically and mentally prepared for what's going to happen about 23 weeks ago. Okay. Yeah, so I'm I'm good. I'm good. Okay. But yeah. um, if the Tigers just doing some, yeah, number crunching. I'm the stats. I'm a stats man. You know, so okay. this is what I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've just heard that. Hey, it, it's it's got around a bit. Yeah. So if the Tigers can pull off a casual, say, let's see, seventy point win against the Panthers tomorrow, mm-hmm. and. I, I don't know who they're playing next week. Who gives a fuck? Um, if they beat them by 70 points as well. Yes. And the Sharks lose to the Storm next week. Yeah. Even just by one point. Boom. Tigers are in the top eight. It's we as simple what, as that. That's how mathematical it is. They're playing the Bulldogs next week. So it is oh. completely possible. Well, they, I mean, that, that could reduce this week's game against Penrith down to a 50-point win. Yeah. And then just put 90 on the dogs. Or, you know, it's just to make it a bit more easier, I dare say, if the Storm can put 100 on the Sharks, mm-hmm. that that makes the Tigers' equation a lot easier. Yeah, I, I, I can see these scenarios working out. You know, the, the West Tigers are due for something to go their way. And I think it's time. I think it's going to happen this next two weeks. Yeah, I don't. But you know, we can we live in hope. The interesting yeah. thing is, the Tigers are five hundred and one to five hundred one dollars to one to make make the grand final. Really? Yeah. Um, that. Oh man, that's short. <laughs> that's really, really short. That's <laughs> really short. It should at least be a thousand to one. Oh, that they should be making that at least. You know, if they want money. They should be making this fifty million to one. <laughs> just get people chucking it on. Just get in. Just get everybody going. I'll put ten cents on that. Imagine if the Panthers decided to forfeit the match. Oh, that wouldn't help. Because that wouldn't help. Against, the for but, and against is what happens. If, if the Panthers said, "You know what? We've decided that we're going to rest every single player we've got in the bubble." Mm-hmm. So we're going to let the uh, the SG ball team, they've been all at home with their mums and dads. They're all yeah. good. Yeah, We'll let them play the West Tigers. Yeah, uh, that, well, all of a sudden you see people running out for the Panthers and their, like, pajamas. their Queensland Cup fucking <laughs> reserve grade quality players. They've just got anyone they can. Yeah. There'd be like 14 Walker brothers in there somehow. 
There'd be a few blokes that look like they've been hanging around a pub at King's Greenwood <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Just yep. put a jumper on, buddy. You'd be fine. You'd be sweet, bruh. He'd be wobbling um, around on the ground. Give him yeah. the ball. He'll be fine. Just make him make him run. You know, I just thought of a story we didn't talk about before mm-hmm. that I want to bring up. I know we're talking about the Tigers and Panthers. But uh, how about that story about um, Lachlan Lewis <laughs> get, allegedly getting caught, st- allegedly stealing a NRL-owned speaker that he then immediately put on eBay while he's up there in Queensland. What the fuck? He's gone. I saw what you did last year, Tim Simona. <laughs> Hold my beer. It is the strangest story because it's like, even he is pretty well paid, you know? Yeah. And so it's not like he's a, you know, if he was a minimum wage player, I'd say, oh, yeah, you know, at some point these guys are barely making a living out of the game and, you know, you just need the wrong person with the wrong idea in the head. But he's on a whack of money by anyone's standards. And, like, did he think he was going to get away with it? Like, it must be, it must have been allegedly in his hotel room while he had it on eBay. I assume so. The interesting thing is, I think the amount that he had it up there for was almost the same as the number of points that the Bulldogs have conceded this year. Oh, really? 600, 670-odd bucks. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Just one of the strangest... Like, any time you think rugby league can't come up with something even more strange, that's, that's right up there. That mm. is right, right up there. You know what it reminded me of is there, there was a former English player... Um, and he did nothing wrong. He was completely entitled to do it. I think it was Keith Senior, who anytime he was in the grand final or or anything like that, he would immediately put the medals that he'd get, especially the runner-up medals, on eBay. Like two days later, they'd be on eBay to buy. What was that? I don't know. That's like, interesting. It, it would be like he just got rid of it all immediately on eBay. And it was his stuff. He Like, it was all above board. But it was just what he did. I'm sure it was Keith Senior that would just, yeah, straight away it was on eBay. Wow, that, that's, that is weird. Mm-hmm. I think so too. But then again, if you're one of these athletes that that doesn't feel the need to collect these things, why not sell it? Well, why not just give it to someone? I mean, he would have been one of the few English players that would have actually been earning decent coin. Oh, been yeah, a, definitely. Been a test yeah. player and everything. So, yeah, you wouldn't need the money. Why don't you just give it away to someone? Give it to a fan. Imagine that. He, he gets some sort of premiership med- medallion or something like that. And then, you know, gets off the off the dice and just walks over to someone in the crowd and says, here you go, this is yours, and then walks off. Imagine the fucking headlines you get for that. That would be fantastic. Yeah, people would go nuts. Who, was it... Uh... Who was the Bulldogs player? I think it was Jonathan Thurston. Didn't they give his winner's medal to, um, what's his name? Steve, Steve Price. Price. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that was the story that went around for a long time. I think what happened was um, Steve Folks gave his to Steve Price. Yeah. And Thurston gave his to Steve Folks or something like that. Okay. 
it was it was a there was someone else involved in the process. Okay. okay. But yeah, JT definitely did give his away though. Yeah, because I like I remember the headlines at the time were that Thurston gave his one to Price, but I can see where that that got mixed up um, yeah. by whoever wrote that that headline. But yeah, journalist A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Isn't it weird to think that? Journalism was way better back then, and it was trash back then. It was still bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's. Uh, speaking of journalism, yes. Um, Brent Reed in the Australian today has suggested that the NRL Digital is going to get rid of its website panel shows next year, which is NRL teams inside the NRL. Uh, there were a few others as well. Look, just. They're basically just NRL preview type shows and mm-hmm. nothing scandalous or anything like that. Just basically looking forward to the games ahead. I think there might have been one about fantasy football. I've, I've be honest, I've never watched any of them, no, but they're, they're there. Okay. And there are some people who probably enjoy watching them. That's fine. Yeah. I don't. Any good? Any rugby league content's good content. Yeah, as long as it's Fergie on the freak. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> our content's good content. All the other stuff is trash. But, um, yeah, I always – it was information. It was information for the fans and and on some level pure information as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, in saying that, as much as I didn't watch any of that, I didn't watch – I don't watch any panel show on NRL, Fox, or Nine anymore at all. None, None of them. Don't care. Yeah, I, I – I will actively avoid them. Like when the when the uh, Sunday night game finishes and Matthew John show comes on, I'll I'll put anything else on. Yeah, I've um I've actually recorded um, the test pattern from 1992. Yeah, the end of ABC broadcast, um, and I make sure I put that on mm-hmm. as soon as the last game ends, just to make sure I don't see any of that horse shit that Matty Johns has got to share. Which is usually just, let's be honest, his normal programming is, um, you know, make some dumb jokes. We know they're jokes because he laughs to give us the cue to laugh. Um, then poke fun at Heidi about either being fat or being a gambling addict or never winning a premiership. Um, and then Fletch will make jokes about drug use, like <laughs> recreational drug use, and something about being paid lots of money, being rich because he's on the east side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there'll be just a random, you know, tedium about tits and dicks and bum jokes, which they usually do because, you know, can't help themselves. That's pretty much it. I mean, that's the rundown for every single Matty John show that's ever aired. What do you reckon the rundown for our show would be? Um, well, to be honest, people get to see the rundown for our show because – We'll sit there and chat for about five minutes and go, fuck it, let's press record. We record it, yeah. I, I reckon people would say, like, they do the intro, pretty straightforward. They have a little chat, bring up some rugby league. A league freak talks about eating some random animal. Uh, they talk more rugby league. Andrew brings up a stat, and they talk about that for 20 minutes. And then they talk about something completely off the charts that's weird and makes you kind of want to turn the whole podcast off if you're listening in front of someone else. And then they wrap it up by asking you to follow their Patreon. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that um, Andrew will often just whinge 
relentlessly about the Tigers. Oh yeah, let's be honest. That, that's become that's become a bit typecast of me. Yeah, I've pigeonholed talk, myself there. They talk about how bad the West Tigers are for forty minutes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's always there. <laughs> um, we'll try and keep that out because I haven't played yet this week. So that's that's a bonus for the listeners. Oh, I can't wait until Sunday night's episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are we still trying to justify the fact that they're mathematical? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the interesting thing about this, okay, is that um, at the start of this year, actually, we'll go back even further. Okay. Um, when P when Peter Vlandis came to power, as as we went through on the podcast a few times, it was on the back of Fox and Nine's um, in quotation marks journalists running these bullshit articles about Greenberg being wasteful with NRL funds. Mm-hmm. Remember, they were looking at the administration costs and basically assuming or enforcing the idea that it, that that was admin wages almost entirely when it wasn't because that money actually also included the digital arm. Yeah, and, and leaving out the fact that at the time the NRL was doing was putting in place a lot of things that the game didn't have in place and was setting it up and running a lot of different programs and things like that. And it, there was a lot of money being spent, but it, there was a lot of money being invested into the game as well. And as you say, they basically wrote it up like, oh, look at the fat cats in the NRL giving themselves giant salaries. That's right. So from that, Greenberg um, got the ass. I think they just they made it out as though his, his contract came to an end and he left. But uh, you know, they 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 got rid of him. That's that's all they wanted, and they got their man, their plant, pot plant. PVL became the ARLC boss, and then shortly after that, a watered down deal with Nine, which didn't need to be negotiated. No, but he brought that negotiation forward into they, the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, he he basically renegotiated at the worst possible time, extended the deal, and cut the deal by $30 million, which is, funnily enough, the exact same amount of money Nine then turned around and gave to Rugby Union and yeah. set up Stan Online and basically turned Stan Sport into a, you know, a Rugby Union channel. Yeah, that's right. Um, and from that, we've had um, the NRL digital arm getting rolled back rather rapidly because this year the NRL stopped having uh, live streaming of all of their games. Mm-hmm. So last year, or the year before, sorry, 2019, if you, had, sometimes you had an NRL account, which was free for most, I think it was free to actually have. I can't remember. I had one, still do. Not that it means anything now. Mm-hmm. Um, you had an NRL account. You could actually just go and watch any game live. And it was just the live broadcast from nine or Fox, but you could watch it on the NRL website. Yeah. Now, the NRL can no longer show their own games on their own website, which is just laughable. And now they can't have their own um, panel programming because it clashes with Fox Sports and Nine's panels. So they scratch those as well. So we've essentially got to the point now where the NRL has no digital arm at all anymore. Yeah, I mean, and look at, how many more people do they need to lay off in terms of the the uh, 
comms people that they employed that used to be journalists. I mean, it it could only be a half a dozen of them left. And then my guess is the NRL website will just be populated by News Limited and Channel 9 um, articles, which, like, I mean, that would be poisonous. Yeah, I do worry that that's, that's where we're heading here. Yeah. Um, I had some bloke from, from England, the only person to argue with me on this one. Yeah. Um, he says, it's because the NRL aren't a media and broadcast company. I was like, well, well, they aren't anymore. Yeah, they're not now. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to set that shit up. And that was like yeah. a huge building block was the fact that they had that set up and they were in the right space to take the next step forward. But it's Instead, not it's been that. rolled back in two big chunks in the space of 18 months. And the thing that, that people forget with all of this is that the NRL is then able to sell advertising on that and they're exactly. able to go to sponsors and say, look, we've got, and I'm just making up numbers here, but they could say, we've got a thousand hours worth of um, exclusive live uh, coverage of the game that you can sponsor and, and things like that. Now they don't have that anymore. Um, it, it's sad to see. I think that it's a good thing for the game to have its own, uh, shows and things like that set up as uh, like they weren't for me, but I understand that people did watch them and did enjoy them. And I'm sad to see them go because less rugby league content's a bad thing. That's right. Um, so it's, it's for me, it's worrying because we're starting to see now, like if it wasn't already obvious before, it's abundantly clear now mm-hmm. that PVL just cowtows entirely to whatever Fox and Nine ask him to do. Yeah. He is essentially, let's be honest, he is their bitch. Yeah, and I mean, even when you look at things like they're talking about bringing in another team in Brisbane, we don't know. I doubt that they're going to do that anytime soon. But, And I hope that they do. But just reading the tea leaves, it seems like they're looking for excuses not to do it. And... They're talking about the next broadcasting deal. And there's already rumblings from the media that will be paying for the broadcasting deal saying, oh, it's going to be less. It's going to be less. And looking at the TV ratings, and TV ratings are down this year, and I think a lot of that has to do with the ridiculous rules that have been brought in that have made the competition just a mess to watch. You know, we've got a two-horse race competition now. It's fantastic. But... uh, there's no doubt that Peter Volandis and the current NRL administration have done a very good job at setting up the competition to run at a moment's notice and move to a different state if needed and move games around and all that sort of thing. I think that's been impressive. But outside of that, every other decision has been an, an absolute failure and has put the game in a worse position. I fully agree. Um, so I, the only thing I can, I can see coming out of this is, yeah, the next, as you said, the next deal is going to come along and Fox are going to have to come up. You know, they, they're going to be able to get the rights for less. I think the only thing that will save them is if, if Optus Sport put in a bid, um, if, if, 
Paramount put in a bid, and that's possible. And Paramount yeah. is the owned by CBS, which owns Channel 10, so yeah. they could do a joint bid. Or if we see the likes of Amazon step in and say, this is a way for us to get a foot in the door in the market. Fox Sports can't afford to lose Rugby League. Without Rugby League, Fox Sports is basically just AFL. And good luck with that. Good luck just selling AFL to a bunch of southern states in Australia and missing two of the three biggest TV markets. Um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. The problem is that with a guy like PVL in charge, and as you say, he has bent the knee every single time to the media, what is the chance that he is not going to bend the knee and give Channel 9 and Fox Sports the deal they want over the the deal that the game could get elsewhere. And we've seen that happen before many, many times. The game was underfunded until we got the independent commission in place. And the people that hated that more than anyone was News Limited and Fox Sports and Channel 9 because all of a sudden they had to pay market value for the game. Yeah. But now they've got, a, they've, they've got their own plant in there. So they're able to push that price down again. Yeah. I can see what will happen. Is that... There'll be an article come out about the negotiation process mm-hmm. and how oh, it was a tough process, but PVL believes he got the best deal. And this is how the negotiation will go down. Fox Sports will come to the table and say, right, we'll offer you $1. <laughs> PVL says, can we make it two? And Fox <laughs> goes, okay. And that'll be it. <laughs> they they will bring, they will look, they will point to the TV ratings, leaving out the fact that TV ratings for everything are down. And that if you're a if you're a free-to-air broadcaster or you are even a cable TV provider, there is so much more that you are fighting against now, even just YouTube, you know. Um, and so they will leave that out of it. They'll talk about the economic downturn, leaving aside the fact that the stock market is up, you know, leaving, leaving aside the fact that big companies – uh, worth more now than they were before the pandemic. And they will say that he made the deal the game needed and he saved rugby league. And you know what? He was a really tough negotiator, but we got everything we wanted. Yeah, I think people too, I mean, we've only, you and I have only been saying this for a year now, mm-hmm. but I think people starting to realise too that um, PVL got far too much high praise for getting the game restarted. Yeah. Now, let me say this. It, it was um, a good effort on his behalf to get the game restarted as early as he did. That's where the praise ends because they were making out like he got the game started when there was no chance of ever getting started again. And that's just wrong because nearly every other sport got started. So it doesn't matter how good or bad administrators are anywhere. They all were able to get this their sports up and running again. So yeah. it's not like getting rugby, getting the NRL back up and running again was the hard job. That was always going to happen, no matter who was in power. The feat he had is he got it done a little bit earlier. And we're talking two, maybe three weeks earlier. A couple of weeks, yeah. yeah. It's nothing and it, huge. Keeping in mind that a lot of the clubs were based in one city and yeah. It was very easy to, with all of these sports shut down in that city, to basically hire the 
the handful of venues that they decided to use and play the games there in front of no one. Like it wasn't the hardest thing in the world to do. It was just a matter of getting it done. Yeah. So you had to break the mold because no one else was was able to do it. So he had to be the first to do that, talking with ministers and, and all that other gear. And as I said, that that aspect is commendable, but that's about it. He didn't save anything. There was nothing was dying. Nothing was saved. No. He just got it started a little bit earlier than what other sports did. That's it. He's done nothing else since other than oversee a lot of of the largest volume of stupid fucking rule changes the game's had in such a short period of time. And I don't think any of them have been to the improvement of the game. No. Um, Can I ask you, because I did a podcast about the proposed kicking rule (laughs) that that Wayne Pierce was sprouting in the media. Um, He's part of the innovation team, whatever that means. And he said... Hardly anyone kicks for touch anyway. He doesn't really notice it, It's which is a common theme with Wayne Pierce. When you hear him talk about the game, he talks about how he doesn't watch every game and things like that. It's very strange, especially for someone that's on the Australian Rugby League Commission. Yeah, it makes him a perfect person to have on there. Yeah, just casually, partly interested. Tell me, because everyone knows what I think about it, tell me what you thought when you heard this rule change, which for anybody that hasn't heard it, Basically, any time you kicked for touch and the ball went either out on the full or out on the bounce, if it wasn't a 40-20 or it wasn't a 20-40, which has never been used once, it would be a seven-tackle set. So tell me what you think about that proposed rule change. Um, fuck off and fuck off now. And when you fucked off, fuck off some more. Go on, off your fuck with all these fucking rule changes. <laughs> That's pretty much what I felt. Wow. It's uh, the whole idea of this thing was yeah. to again, and I don't know why, to reduce the amount of time when the ball is out of play. Like yeah. we need to keep going twenty four seven. That's what we need to be doing. Ball must keep going. We must keep moving. We can't keep stopping. We can't do anything. The next thing that's going to happen is they're going to have to have a look at everything that causes stoppage in play, which means. We're going to have to stop um, tries and well, kicking th- goals because the play stops after that. But we just funny- need to be running backwards and forwards and tackling all the time and not worry about a scoreboard. Let's just see how quickly we can go up and down the field all the time. And then all of a sudden, we're just watching national national beep tests. Beep tests, yeah. I was going to say that. That's it. Is that it's all like- they want? It's fucking beep tests with a football involved. They basically want a... A, a slightly better version of bull rush. Um, and, and the weird thing is that for all their supposed speeding up the game, I have never, ever in my entire life seen football games stopped more than this year and last year. And we stopped for everything. We are now stopping games just to check nothing illegal happened. And then when nothing illegal happened, then we restart the game. There was a, an incident in the game tonight between the Storm versus the Eels where Ryan Hap- Pappenhausen ran into Dylan Brown's shoulder and Dylan Brown wasn't even looking at him. Ryan Pappenhausen falls on his, falls on the ground, starts grabbing his head. We stopped the game for two minutes while he laid on the ground. And then, we, you know, he gets up and 
they check it and there's nothing illegal in there and stuff. And the game just randomly stopped for two minutes. And Ryan Pappenhausen never left the field, which was kind of scary to me because this is a dude that's had a lot of concussion issues this year. They left him out there. Um, we're seeing too many instances where, like there was another one earlier in the match where um, Brandon Smith, he he got he got hit in a in a tackle and he grabbed his shoulder and he was on the ground for maybe 15 seconds. He got up and we stopped the game and we stopped it. And they, you know, they ran over to him and they had a look at him and he was just hurt. He was fine. He was just hurt, which happens. But I've never seen the game stopped as many times in my life. And it's weird because you, you watch these games and you're like, I, I want to watch a football game. And that's why you and me have said the best footy game we watched all year was the women's state of origin match because all of the stoppages were removed and they played by the rules from 2019, which we need to go back to as soon as possible. You know what? That's a really, really, I can't stress how really smart thing that was. You just said then I fully agree with it all. Oh, sometimes I make some good points, don't I? And then you just make the the purest and clearest of sense. Well, you know, I don't know any other way, Andrew. I can't even help it at this point. That's right. Now, look, I did go through and have a look at some of the quotes that mm-hmm. Wayne Pierce had, had pulled out of his ass for this fucking thing. Okay. Because there's some dumb ones there. Okay. So I'm just going to read some of his quotes about this whole shit. But before you get into that, is this a bit heartbreaking for you? It's it's complicated, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, I really did love Wayne Pierce as a player, and let's be honest, one of the greatest locks the games had revolutionised the role quite a bit too. Because he was a genuine ball player, mm-hmm. but rock fucking solid in defence, and could play full eighty minutes with the same intensity in the eightieth minute as he had in the first. Yeah, um, and that uh, focus on fitness, and and uh, you know, it's just the utter professionalism of the bloke as a player, just never, ever seen before in, in Australian rugby league. And he just, he broke the mold and everybody had to start going and following by his, his style and his methods. And yeah. it's, it was a large reason as to why we have the game the way it is today is that players started realizing that, you know, shit, this is now going to be the new normal. And they all start following that system instead of just going to the pub and getting pissed five days every week and smoking a, pack of durries and, you know, go to training at the end of work. And, you know, it's just, it stopped being a game full of tradies and started being a game that you actually had to be a professional athlete in. Well, if you, if you looked at a lock or a back rower from just five years before, completely different thing. I mean, the yeah. only thing I can think that I think Chuck Raper is probably the only other player that you could say, I mean, and look, he was decades ahead of his time. Yeah, um, you could. He, put, you had him and him and Ron Coote both came through the same time. They were the only yeah. two yeah. that they they generally changed the way the the lock forward played. Mm-hmm. And then you had um, a bit of a gap. Ray Price, who was just uh, uh, just a, a intense competitor the whole mm-hmm. way through and never ever quit. And then you just had the professional ball-playing finesse of Wayne Pierce and Brad Fitt, uh, Brad uh, Clyde both come right. through at the same time. Yeah. Um, just kept, you know, the, the evolution of that role changed so rapidly 
from the the 60s 70s 80s into the 90s mm-hmm. and then you've got you know as, as much as i know you're not a fan of me but you know paul gallon then became that sort of um hit up hit up and tackling monster sort of thing that the the lock forward had to become when you had that stupid interchange rule shit going on in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and then once that sort of settled down and we had proper rules come into place and a bit of normalcy, you then had the Jason Tormalolo type character. Yeah. Which the game's rules are now trying to kill. Yeah, because who wants to see, uh, you know, one of the greatest forwards of all time dominating, doing everything great? That's no right. one wants to see that. Well, let's get back to Wayne Pierce's stupid comments. Yes. Um, he said, at the moment when a ball gets kicked into touch, there's a turnover and the team can have it in the middle of the field or wherever they want to have it. My view is that there's a difference between a player running into touch, whether it be trying to score a try or whatever, and a player deliberately kicking into touch to slow the play down. Well, he's, I guess he's right in some regards, but it's not like, why is it a bad thing to want to slow the game down? Like when did tactics become a bad thing? Yeah, I was going, well, I was going to say, don't ask yourself, Wayne, as to why players are trying to slow the game down. Don't look yeah. into whether there's a correlation between fatigue, injuries, and blowout scorelines. Don't do that. Yeah. But, like, okay, here's, here's a question for you. It's the early to mid-90s, mm-hmm. and Ricky Stewart just did something that was completely amazing, and he did it with his kicking game. Yep. And it was always he would put a kick downfield, and he would find touch like about five metres out from the opposition team, turns them around, and he makes them have to, you know, ruck it out from basically their own 10-metre line. Yep. And the Canberra Raiders changed so many games that way. And nobody ever looked at that and said, oh, this is this sucks. This is horrible. It was always, how good is Ricky Stewart? He's amazing. And if everyone was as good as him, how good would the game be? Exactly. It's not a bad thing. No. Like having tactics is a good thing. Yeah, that's what makes that's what separates good teams from the West Tigers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so he went on to say his rule change, which is seven tackle set for the team defending. Effectively, it's like the twenty meter tap restart for quicks that go beyond the end goal. Teams hate that because the extra tackle means a significant difference to where the play will end up on the last tackle. It's not something that pops its head up in many games anyway. There might be games where they don't kick the ball into touch. Some teams use it as a ploy because they think we can slow it down and get our defense set. Now, it's worth noting that the seven-tackle set came in essentially to stop teams trying to nullify Billy Slater. Let's be honest, that's what it was. Yeah, and remember when Billy Slater was nullified? No. No, neither do I. No. Because the dumb thing about that was, instead of making Billy Slater return the ball from his own goal line, he now got to rest (laughs) while his team got an extra tackle and they started from the 20-meter line. You you didn't nullify anything, you fucking idiots. You just helped his side even further. (laughs) I, I am sure that if you asked every coach in the game, would you rather your fullback get the ball or would you just rather just a straight one fifth of the field turnover? They would all say, give me a fifth of the field every time. And an extra tackle. 
Yeah, yeah. But but it was so, like I never understood that idea of oh they you know they're kicking the ball dead and it's nullifying Greg Inglis and Billy Slater and I'm I'm like you're talking about the most dynamic dangerous players that are all deciding who the grand final winners are right now like the most important position on the field no one's nullifying them what are they talking about but they brought it in anyway and you know all of a sudden we've got rugby league games where some some sets are six tackles and some are seven and it, it you know it's just silly it's very silly furthermore when you get the set restart bullshit come in as well you can now get some sets that'll go for like 15, 16 tackles. Oh, it's ridiculous. And like, um, but that's the thing. We see how much one tackle makes a difference. Like when you get one extra tackle, it's bad. When you get like 14 extra tackles. <laughs> just, well, like, that's perfect ridiculous. example was the, the Sharks Bron- uh, Broncos game today. Mm. The first six minutes of that game, Cronulla had all the ball. Mm. Brisbane never touched it. And Sharks scored a try. And then the next six minutes, I kid you not, it was exactly, exactly perfect another six minutes. Brisbane had all the ball and they scored a try. And, you know, that wasn't good football to watch. No. And the idea of the having a limited amount of tackles was that you knew how many tackles you had left and you had to do something with the ball. And if you didn't do something with the ball, the other team got it. Now, that's out the window because you can just have, it's almost gets to a point where teams are getting unlimited tackles. And on top of that, now the NRL wants to bring in a rule where if you do get the ball back and the momentum has been against you and you've been defending your own line, now they don't want you to tactically be able to kick the ball over the sideline, slow the game down. Yeah, definitely but then make the opposition be on the back foot and maybe get back into the contest. I don't understand the thinking behind, you know, rugby league is not the most complex game in the world to begin with. But the thing that makes a sport great is the tactical differences between the sports and what you can do to slow it down. The best players ever, we have always said, they play the game slower than everyone else. Darren Lockyer played the game slow. And yet he was quicker than everyone else with all of his decision-making yeah. and everything he did. It didn't matter that, and he would slow everything down. And that's what the great players do because tactically they're ahead of everyone else. The idea that you get rid of that is, I don't understand it. No, it makes no sense. Um, furthermore, what doesn't make sense is this next quote from him. I can't see the sense in change for change's sake. <laughs> That's why we might run with the one trial and see how that goes before, because the feedback has been pretty good over the changes we've brought in over the last couple of years. I don't know what feedback he's watching, but I have seen my Twitter feed uh, go from thinking the rules have been okay overall by a lot of people to now just being they got to get rid of this six again rule. Yeah. He also said there is no doubt. No doubt, Freaky. Mm-hmm. No. Zero. Mm-hmm. Not one single doubt in his mind. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt the game flows a lot better than it had when the wrestle was in. That's, That's for just, sure. 
that that's just wrong. He's lying. Yeah. There's no there's, there is no doubt the game has never been more stop start in its entire history. Yeah. And there's talk of the wrestle. The the wrestle has always been in there. All that's happened now is the wrestle when it first came in, it was all on the ground and it was designed to essentially either put the player on their back or turn them around the other way so that you had a slow play of the ball, which meant your defenders could get back and be set and they could rush up off their line as soon as the play was play the ball was done. And your defense could just stay on top of the attack and crush them. That was the idea of it. You just keep pushing them back. And so the opposition just couldn't make any meterage. That's what the wrestle was all about. And then we started seeing um, genuine slowing down tactics. So third man in. That sort of stuff. Yeah, and it was just done, all just done to slow the play of the ball down even further without having to resort to wrestling holds and all that sort of stuff. Which you know they lasted about two years and were really fucking grubby. Um, they got pushed out of the game rather quickly, but it got replaced with third man in crap and flops and all that sort of garbage. Now we see a lot of the wrestle is about holding the player and just letting them stand. Yeah, holding them up. Yeah. Uh, so the wrestle essentially the 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 wrestle that was really bad that they hated that's been long eliminated yeah now all it's about is just slowing down the play the ball that's it so you get your arms around the ball and you're not trying to rake the ball out but you get your arms around it you get your arm up inside you know that space where the player's got the ball and their arm so that you get all tangled up it just slows mm-hmm. everything down it's stupid but it slows it down in a legal manner and it's that's what that's what teams do now. They'll, they'll try and find any way they can to slow the game down. That's all that will happen. And if there's a reason why they do it, Mister Pierce, it's because they're getting fucking tired and they want to have a break. And the funny thing is that right now you can stop the game more ways than any time in the game's history. Yeah, like Breath you can challenge. literally. You can the trainer for your team can literally run on and stop the game for you. Yeah, we you know? we learned we learned that looking at the West Tigers documentary. You just see magical guys saying, "Get Robbie out there and tell him to do this. Get him to tell him to say this, yep. say that." And you're going, "Yeah, that's what they do. They just tell the trainer go say some shit." The captain Boy. can stop the game, and it's not even the proper stoppages by the captain. It can be the part where the captain just needs to go over to the referee and say, "Oh, he got that wrong. He got that wrong." and the referee's like, oh, do you want to challenge it? And the captain looks around at his teammates and stuff. And this game stopped all this time. Like, I, I've never seen more stoppages in the game, ever. It's not even close. And a lot of it is not because there's been um, a rule change. There's just been a system change. So, for example, um, after a try is scored, previously, if the referee wasn't sure of it, he'd call the video referee to have a look at it, the bunker. Now, he just goes try or no try, and then as the goalkeeper is going to line up the goal, the bunker's looking at it, and if they think that needs to be, you know, the goalkeeper needs to stop before he has a shot at goal, they'll go, hang on, we just want to have another look at this. And then yeah. they look at it and they go, oh, we might have to take those points off the board. You're going, the whole the whole reason behind allowing the referee to just call a try or no try on the spot instead of calling for the video was so that essentially, according to what the dickheads at Daily Telegraph are saying, 
the fans were being um, denied the chance to enjoy enjoy um, celebrating a try with the players when it first happens. Mm-hmm. So now we brought in this rule where the try gets awarded on the spot and the fans can all celebrate. And so, hooray, isn't that fantastic? And then five minutes later, after stopping and looking at the camera, we can then take the points off and you can go, well, fuck you, fans. And the fans go, well, fuck the NRL. You go, yeah, but you got to celebrate a try. Aren't you happy? Exactly. Like and it's this not is... a try that doesn't count, but still, you got to celebrate it. That's the, that's the end result. And this is the problem with the rule set that we have right now is that the procedure, it's like the game isn't there just to be the sport, you know, it's there to, so that we can stop and do procedures and you know, what sport in the world it takes, that's like rugby league and darts, you take points off the board, (laughs) you know, it's ridiculous. It's the dumbest thing ever. And for him to say, you can't see the sense in change for change's sake, explain the 2040 rule, explain the two point field goal rule, explain this idea that we should have a seven tackle set all the fucking time. You know, the six again rule. That hasn't eliminated anything. Nothing. Nothing. No. The, the six the, again rule, all that's done has been brought in to try and eliminate the need to have two referees on the field, and it's failed in both cases. Completely like, we'd failed. We'd rather have two referees than have the stupid six again bullshit. But at least it stopped the storm being so dominant. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, <laughs> the fact that he said the feedback has been pretty good over the change we've brought in over the last few years, the only reason why he can say that is because he must be hanging around a bunch of stupid old clowns who love PVL, the Daily Telegraph. Well, he's the not only people ta- going to give him that good feedback. Yeah, well, he he's not talking to people at games because you can't go to games. And, yet, you know, he's not talking to people in the street because you can't go anywhere. And so who the fuck is he talking to? I don't and know. this is the problem. And, you know, I wonder at what point we talk about clubs, NRL clubs, having too much power in the game at times. At what point do the clubs get together and say, listen, the ARL commission right now is bringing all of these rule changes in, which have been catastrophic to the game. Really, really bad. And then on top of that, they're going to renegotiate all of the broadcasting deals and we're going to have less money. At what point do the clubs start to say, we've got to do something about this? Because these bastards are, are doing some pretty bad stuff to the NRL. And I wrote an article during the week and it went off a little bit where I was saying how the NRL is super, super close to being a third code of rugby because the NRL isn't what you see at the normal level of rugby league around the world. You know, it's, it's completely different. They've got completely different rules and it's not the same rules rugby union has it's its own third form of rugby, and yeah. it's one that's not pleasing to watch. That's right. It's this is the other thing he talks about the flow. But the I'd argue that the possession stats have been more lopsided in twenty twenty one than in previous seasons. Yeah, one hundred percent. So this is, I mean, this is what you're getting at too. Is that the thing that made rugby league great for the best part of 40 years was the limited tackle rule. And now that that is, that is somewhat being, I wouldn't say eliminated. It's being um, watered down to the point where it's starting to have the possession stats of rugby union. 
mm-hmm. where a team can hold the ball, as we saw today, for six minutes. That's just that that was largely unheard of prior to the set, you know, set restart rules and all this sort of shit coming in. Mm-hmm. Um to be able to hold the ball for six minutes, that was so rare. Very now, rare. Well, you it's think just of it normal. in the con- you think of it in the context of having a player sent from the fi- uh sent for ten minutes. And you think to yourself, well, okay, they're going to have like, if they're lucky, they'll have three, four sets where they'll they'll have the extra man advantage. Now, you can literally have every single set except one for that whole ten minutes, and that is that's that's never happened. No, no and it's, it's regularly regularly occurring. Yeah, it's insane. Oh, and look, one last few quotes, one last bunch of quotes he's got. One of the things we don't want to do is change the essence of what the game is about, and that would significantly change the spirit of the game. For example, we haven't got rid of the scrums. You, you almost oh, have. Please. <laughs> what we've done is we've reduced the number of scrums, which increases the flow of the game. Reducing the number of scrums is ridding the game of scrums. Not all of them, but of most of them. Yeah. We're at a pretty good point with scrums too, where they and once again, you can you can use a scrum in attack tactically. And we've seen that a little bit this year where teams move the and I hate that they can move the scrums across the field, but they move the scrums across the field and they attack from a scrum. Mm. And if once again you go back to the mid-90s when I think rugby league was probably one of the best times to ever watch the sport where um, the very, very top teams, they would use scrums and they would have set plays from them and they were mind-blowing. They were things of art. And we just, now we just want to get rid of them because of tap. We want to have a tap, though a tap's better. That's all right. This is what we've done is we've reduced the number of scrums, which increases the flow of the game. What happens when a team finds touch from a kick, we stop the game until everyone gets in place defensively from the attacking mm-hmm. team and mm-hmm. everyone gets back on side from the defending team and they take a tap. We haven't increased the flow of the game. That's what how it used to happen before every scrum. Mm-hmm. We've got the same time being wasted. And so what, bringing in a seven-tackle rule does not increase the flow of the game. You're still going to have to wait for everyone to get back in place before you take the seven-tackle set. You're not increasing anything. You're making no change whatsoever to the flow of the game. Getting rid of scrums, keep them in there, taking a tap, seven-tackle rule. doesn't matter which one of those stupid things you put in there. You still have the same time waste you're taking on before each of those concepts take place. So you're not increasing any fucking thing. It's like it's change for change's sake. That's exactly what it is. Um, and You've then... got to wonder, though, like you, you you think of what rugby league is supposed to be like, and it's going to be different for a lot of different people. But it was, you know, rugby league was meant to be the handling sport. It was supposed to take what rugby was and take the best elements of it, which was which was the flowing style of ball movement and things like that. Rugby league was never meant to just be a, a track meet, you know, no. 
uh, who, no one wants to see a track meet. And it's almost at that level. I think that this form of rugby league we're seeing right now is worse than it was in the, the early 2000s under unlimited interchange. I think this is the worst rugby league I've ever seen in my life. Um, I'm I'm finding it hard to put any counter against that. Yeah. Um, Pierce's final throwaway line. Mm-hmm. We're conscious of the tradition and the history of the game. We don't want to tamper with that. Well, that's all they're doing. All they've done for 18 months is tamper with it. Yeah. Crazy. They say, well, they say the history of the game like they fucking know. Oh, all of his statements are contradictory to everything he said the previous sentence. And I think that's all you've got to know about the way that they're looking at these themselves. And they have zero regard to what effect that these things will have on the overall sport. Um, there's no way you can look at all of these rule changes they've brought in and say it's made rugby league better. All it's done is take the closest competition in the world, in all of world sport, and has trashed it. Yeah, that's exactly what's done. It's taken something that was at its pinnacle and then said, fuck this, it's too good. Yeah. I can only assume... The reason why it's happened is because PVL thinks that he's a chance of getting the top job at Rugby Australia. I tell you what, think like, about it, man. Think about it. If he turned around and got that top job there, it would make so much sense for yeah, everything well, that's it? happened. Because he's he's helped them get a um, TV rights deal with a with a, a free to air TV provider. Sure, it's not on their actual network, but it's better than what they had, mm-hmm. which was with Channel nothing. Nine. Yeah, that's with Channel 9. He's helping him out. He's destroying the fabric of rugby league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, watch this space. <laughs> be amazing if that happened. You know, it would be wrong of us not to talk about the Mitchell, uh, the Latrell Mitchell incident with Joey Manu. Did you see it? I only, I, have... I didn't, I didn't watch the game, I, but I saw the incident. Likewise, I didn't see the game, but I did watch the incident. Um, to me, it's it's blatant, it's reckless, it's intentional, it's high. Um, I would be giving him a lengthy suspension because he's been producing, for me, a bit too much of this grubby shit in his game in the last 18 months. And I think a long suspension from this sort of crap might be just enough to give him the kick in the ass to say, mate, don't stop playing the game aggressively. You need to stop trying to hurt people. He's had a few clumsy sort of tackles and, and weird shit he's done throughout this year that he's been had to go to the judiciary for. There was one against the Tigers at the start of the year where a Tigers player tackled him around the legs and just as just after he's let go, Mitchell's done a mule kick and almost hit the bloke in the head. And I think he actually did the same thing um, about a month or so ago as well. And he might have actually connected, not with the head, but with the shoulder or something of another player. You know, I just didn't want to get out of the tackle. Why would you try and injure someone in the process? Because it's now starting to become a bit of a trend where it looks like he is generally trying to hurt someone with some of this shit. That's the concern because it's not a one-off thing anymore. See, I, I thought that the tackle was 
I just thought it was reckless. I didn't think it was intentional. I think he he definitely wanted to smash Manu. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think he he intended to smash his face in. You know, like it, I don't think that it's not like he come in with the cocked elbow. Okay, his his arm was down by his side. No, but his, but, his shoulder was pretty like he was. He had his shoulder leading. He was the yeah. But you got and to the brace arms, for impact. He wasn't bracing for impact. So I think he you, was. You, you just said yourself he was coming in to smash him. You don't come in and smash someone while bracing for impact. He came in to hit him hard. I think we can we've both agreed on that. Oh yeah, he came in to absolutely smash him. Yeah, but I'll, thing, I'll agree that he wasn't trying to hit him in the head. That's no. unfortunate. Yeah, but he was leading with the shoulder, which you can't do. And the arm, it's, it's almost like he's gone, right, I'm going to put a shoulder charge on this bloke. And he gets halfway there and going, oh, fuck, I better bring my arm around and make it look like a legit tackle. And then his arm swings around like a fucking swinging arm, like it's about to coating or someone and going, it just all looks sloppy and ugly. But it so, just says to me, it was an intentional attempt to pull off a shoulder charge. I, I don't know. I just, look, Mitch, uh, Latrell Mitchell, and keep on going to call him Mitchell something. I don't even know what the next word coming out of my mouth is. But Latrell Mitchell um, is gigantic. I don't think most people realise he is massive. He's like as big as most forwards. Yeah. Um, I was shocked when I saw him the first time in real life. It was during the test match between Australia and New Zealand. And he is huge. Um and he gets he's a very very good athlete and so he's move he's moving a a big body around very quickly and you you see a dude like that size come into that tackle he's going to hurt somebody even if he hits you legally he's going to really really hurt you and i just think that he was coming in and you know he's an elite athlete and he's trying to do things at a thousand miles an hour and I just think it was it was a little bit reckless in terms of um, he probably shouldn't have come in that quickly just because he should have been in a better defensive position. Like when you're coming in at that speed, if anything happens, you're out of position because you're going straight ahead. He's like, you know, 100, 110 kilos or something. You're not moving. Um and when he hit him in the head, I mean, he smashed his face in. It's terrible. But, you know, and the other thing out of that game is people were saying about the way he was carrying on and, and they uh, didn't like the way. I don't care about that. I don't care about that either. In fact, I, and I want to say this. I think he needs to embrace that. I yeah, think I'm, that, I'm, I'm like you. I'm fine with that. Yeah. It's like it's a, it's a, it's a tough sport. It's a man sport. It's an unforgiving sport. He's not there to make friends, and I'm fine with that. He doesn't have to make friends. But, I, you know, seeing Joey Manu's face smashed in was horrifying. And then when he he grabbed his nose and he blew, blew and his face puffed up with air because all of his sinuses are smashed and ripped. That's one of the, like, that was genuinely shocking to me to see that. And my understanding was that anytime you think you've got a, a broken nose or even a, a broken cheekbone or something, yeah. that medical professionals are like, do not blow your nose. And I was yeah. kind of shocked to see the trainer just let him sort of do that. Yeah, I, I remember hearing that too an awful lot. You don't blow your nose when, you, when you've copped a, 
copped a blow around uh, the sinus region, around your eyes and your nose, and you never blow your nose. Yeah. And the biggest concern wasn't so much to what happened to them, but if you haven't broken it, but it's very, very weakened or, you know, there's been some sort of damage done there, blowing your nose could be, usually there's enough force coming through blowing your nose that it could actually set off a fracture if it's half half done. Mm. I'd say don't do it, you know. Oh, it's terrible. And you could see the moment, like when he did it and his face puffed up full of air straight away and you could see he went from being in a bad way to straight away. He was like, it was like he was in a crisis moment. Yeah. You're like, holy it, shit, that happened quick. Yeah. And, and, oh man, it really was one of the most shocking things I've ever seen on a footy field. And, um, you know, he's going to pay the price for it. I believe that he, if he takes the early guilty plea, that Latrell Mitchell will be out for six weeks, will be the season. Joey Manu won't come back before next year. Um, it no, was just right. horrible to see. And I, I think that Latrell, I would say to Latrell Mitchell, like, you're a big dude. I don't care that he doesn't want to make friends out in the footy field. But I would say that there's times where when he, if he goes in at a thousand percent, it's going to take the slightest move or pass or whatever by the opposition for Latrell to be out of position. And he, if he just takes the split second longer to get there, but he's more in control of his body and he's more in control of his movement, that's what Southam needs out of him. Yeah, it's, that's right. It's At the moment, there's just too much um, ill discipline in his game. To be a genuinely good fullback, he's got all the skills, all the ability to be one of the best fullbacks we've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. But too much ill discipline is just ruining it for him. Because more than anything, he's been suspended too much. So he's not getting a chance to stay on the field for a long period of time and build the form required to become one of the greats. He's just well, as he's getting close, he then goes and does something silly and gets suspended. And you've got to wait another buddy six, eight weeks, or just this case, it's going to be wait till next year, and then you've got to start all over again. And just, he's doing himself more harm than anything else. Yeah. Well, when they lost him last year, it was a gigantic blow to South. It really ended their season pretty much. And it mm. was a, look, the, he, he did his hamstring really badly. Um, and this time he's, he's taken himself out for six weeks at least. Uh, it's 10 if he fights it and he loses, which I think is, you know, Fair enough. Ten weeks. I mean, he smashed the guy's face in. Yeah. But you know, he—it's basically the end of South's chances in what was looking like at be- at the very, very best a three-horse race. Um, you know, it's not—it's not good. No, it's not good at all. So it's uh, yeah. I think he's—he's gonna—he's got to be at a turning point now. He's twenty-four. Surely he's got to be at the point now where he goes, you know what, I need to start changing that aspect of my game, just being a little bit cleaner with tackles and um, discipline. Doesn't That's not a huge change we're asking for. Mm. Just get that tiny little bit of niggle you've got in your game and that little bit of sloppiness you've got in there, just remove it. It's an easy fix. Everything else you're doing is perfectly fine. We're talking about a one percenter here. Yeah, and I, I would say to him, look at Greg Inglis, who – is really the only – I mean, I, I consider Luttrell uh, to be pretty close to being a super athlete in the NRL. 
And Greg Inglis was, was without question a super athlete. And I would say, look at the way Greg Inglis played and look at how when he when he brought his physicality into a into the contest, it was measured. And that's what made it all the more devastating. You know, Greg Inglis could have definitely gone around and just used his size and speed to keep blasting people. But the thing about Greg Inglis was he he waited, he waited, he waited, and then he applied it all at the same time. And that's what was so devastating about him. Yes, um, and he, he got better at that as he got um, older. And I think yeah. understood the power that he had with his body as well when it comes to the the contact. Yeah, and, and I, I think that Latrell, because he is so young, and I think because he is, I think he's still learning that fullback position and having that freedom to run the ball or having the freedom to be a roaming defensive player. I think he's still learning all of these things. And every so often you see it in him, you see that he realizes he's a gigantic, great athlete and that if he hits a hole right, if he times his run right, he's almost unstoppable. Um and hopefully that learning process continues to the point where he does get to that Inglis level of any time. I mean, Greg Inglis with his physicality and forget his skill level because his skill level was as good as anyone as well. But just the physical level Greg Inglis brought in when he would apply it to the game, it was it just was everything changed. It was like, oh, everyone else is just pretending out here. This is Greg Inglis's world. <laughs> We're all just living <laughs> in it. I, I'm. I want to go back to that bit where you talked about Lockyer now. He just looked like he always had time. Mm-hmm. Inglis never looked like he always had time. But what he always had was the ability to just brush off any any bastard he fucking wanted to with that immense fend. Yeah. He had a fend that any 80s centre would love. Because well, it, it centres centers, centers in the 80s had just the greatest fucking fend. Yeah. It had to be because they, were, they weren't just pushing off other centers who were, you know, 80 or 90 kilos. They pushed off a bunch of fat blokes from the pub. You know, you had to hit them hard. <laughs> it's, it's, hard to, got... it's hard to describe to people what it was like to watch Mal Meninga kind of three quarters into his career when he had properly filled out. And what he was able to do physically to opposition teams, and just like the optics of this giant man who was just built like a brick shit house, and yet you get when you got him the ball with a bit of space, and it was just like, well, what what are they going to do now? You know, because he had that fend, he had a pretty good bit of toe for someone that size, he had really good skill. Um, but the thing about Inglis was like he was way bigger. I I, I can't say stronger, no, but he was definitely faster. way bigger. He's faster, faster too. Better hands. I think yeah, better hands. Yeah. Um, one of my I can't remember which game it was, but I, I've it's just implanted in my brain. There was one time when um, Meninga was running downfield mm-hmm. and he fended someone. And you know when usually when you fend someone, you're pushing them to the side and you push off them. As you run around them, so it's it's got a twofold effect. You're pushing they, the defender away, and you're running away from them. Yeah, they they push some of their momentum goes into your body, and so you push off of that, and that gives you momentum. Yeah, yeah. 
Meninga used to just fend someone off who was standing in front of him. He just pushed them over backwards and then just run over the top of them. Mm. Like, oh, look, a speed hump is standing up. Let's just flatten that. And then yeah. go over it. That's what he did. And it didn't slow him down. It's just insane. It was crazy. It was I've abs- never like- seen anyone have that much power in the backs ever. Just insane to watch. No, I, look, I think, oh, man, I reckon I reckon Inglis had that power, personally. Oh, he he did, but I don't think he ever he ever um, used it like that, though. No, no, he used it differently. Yeah. He used it differently. And, and, like, if you put, if Mal Meninga happened now, he would be as physically dominant as he was back then. Like, it, it's not like you say, well, you know, it's a different era and stuff like that. Like, he would be Mal Meninga now. Yeah. And he would be the first pick for Australia now, all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, Inglis was like the second coming of Mal Meninga. And, man, I miss watching Inglis play. He was one of my favourite plays ever to watch because it was just the complete package of, like, he's, people forget he played 5-8 in a grand final winning team. And he played centers in a grand final winning team. And he played fullback in a grand final winning team. Like, it's unbelievable. He was absolute. so skillful. Yeah, he's absolute freak of an athlete, that bloke. There's no doubt about it. You know, um, I want to go into something that I wrote for the League Unlimited magazine this week. Mm-hmm. It's stats. Okay. I was, I was looking at... Um, Do you like stats? Oh, I don't mind. I dabble. Yeah, yeah. I dabble. Um, I was looking at just how lopsided 2021 has been. And I want to make it clear, when I do an article like this, I go, what's an idea I could do for a stats article? I don't research first and then go, oh, yeah, let's exploit that. I go, okay, I'm just going to research this and see what it's like Mm -hmm. and just write it as I go. So it's um, interesting how it works out. Because I didn't know how how 2021 was going to fare. In my mind, when I think of lopsided seasons there's always a few markers that stand out for me okay first one's going to be 1935 when dave brown just eviscerated everyone and you had canterbury in their first season and university who were just utterly woeful at that time both getting flogged every week Mm -hmm. um 1920 when you had annadale and university both playing and the only time in you know they both appeared in the one season uh there's 1950 59 and 1963 or four just dragons belting everyone yep and then you're looking at 1994 with the raiders and manly 95 with those four new teams coming in those are the markers yeah for lopsided seasons and i was wondering whether 2021 would compete with any of those because the one thing it didn't have that all those seasons had it didn't we haven't had a, a new team in 2021 We've got all established teams. Nothing's been new for 15 years almost. Yeah. So I was looking at a few different ways to check it. And the first one I did was the uh, points differential between the best and the worst. So, you know, the team with the best points differential, which is Melbourne, and the worst, which is the Bulldogs. Okay, so this is at the end of last round, so not including games this week. Um, and 2021 was sitting at that gap was 889 points. There's only been three seasons that have had a wider gap. Mm -hmm. 1982 had 970 points. Who was the, who was at the bottom then? 
Canberra as their first season, and they okay, had yep, yep. minus five hundred ninety-three. And so Parramatta at the how quickly they got better, hey? <laughs> yeah, and Parramatta at the top was plus three hundred seventy-seven. Nineteen thirty-five, you had East who had plus four hundred forty-two. Let's remember too, that's in sixteen games. Yeah, and Canterbury were minus five hundred and ten. And then 1999, and that was where it was 913 points. Cronulla were plus 254, and West were minus 659. So <laughs> those were the the only three times we've had more lopsided seasons. But we yeah. still have two rounds to play at this point. So we still had to make up 100 points difference, which yeah. is doable. Definitely, definitely, yeah. I guess the other thing I would say is that those teams that had the worst for and against from those historic seasons, my guess is the points they had actually scored were nowhere near what the points that was scored by the worst for and against team is this year in the NRL. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's probably very true. So I then... Did the same process, points difference, but I checked it out between first place and fourth place. Oh, okay. All right. So 1935 was again at the top of the list there, 447 points because East were plus 442 and North were minus five. So that's a gap of 447. Wow. How how many teams were in comp that year? Uh, Nine. Okay, yeah. Uh, 1959 was second with 402 points. That was St. George plus 360 and Newtown minus 42. Mm-hmm. 2001, 352 points. Parramatta plus 433 and Cronulla plus 81. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this year, which was Melbourne plus 499 and the Roosters plus 159. That's a long drop back. So that's another 107 points off the top there. But they were, 2021 currently sits fourth there. That's okay. a pretty massive gap there. Yeah. Um, I looked at, again, similar sort of numbers. Um, when I looked at the difference between first and third, uh, first and eighth, because I went with first, first and eighth because at the moment that's the top and the bottom of the finals contenders. Yep. yep. And it, 2021 ranked third. Now, the reason why that's fascinating for me is because for the first almost 50 years of the game, the most number of teams you ever had in a season was nine, and that only happened for maybe four or five seasons. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time it was eight teams. So that was this is comparing first and last for the first 40, 50 years. Mm. And yet 2021 slotted in the third. Yeah. And it was nine, 1935 at the top with 952 points. 1920 was second, almost 400 points less. <laughs> <laughs> And then 2021, 531 points. Um, then we're going to another area, which is looking at the number of times um, a game has seen 40 points or more scored in it. Okay. The top five, uh, 2001, 49 games where that happened. And as of right now, 1995 and 2021 are equal second on 45 games. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Like 2001, or like the Eels team in 2001, which I'm sure contributed to a lot of the 40-point games, that was legitimately 
a very, very good Eels team. And that was, I believe that was still the unlimited tackle. It was, it was, yes. Yeah, yeah. So unlimited tackle. Brian Smith had put together an almost perfect unlimited tackle team. And it was literally, for that one year, they were unbelievable, properly unbelievable. Um, 95, you bring in four teams, that's going to happen. Yeah. And then this year, where the competition's been stable for over a decade. That's, that's the other thing, is that all those other seasons, you can look at unique factors as to what's caused it. And none of them have been rules related. They've all been the introduction of a new team. And history will show you that every time you bring a new team into the comp, more often than not the first year, they are just the whipping boy for everyone. Mm. And so you bring in two two teams at the same time, like they did in 47 and 67 and even 82, mm-hmm. you're going to get increased blowouts and stuff like that. You've got two whipping boys to smash. 95, they brought in four of them. So it's just whippings all around going on there. 94 was the only sort of outlier there because all the teams have been set for six years at that stage. Yeah. But even still, it doesn't compare with 2021 because we haven't had any changes since the Titans came in in 2007. But And the other thing is too, like as with 2001 where you can say, oh. wow, that Eels team was red hot. In 95, the, the Raiders were Nearly. just out of this world. Maybe one of the best teams of all time. Um, the Manly Seagulls were unbelievable. Even the Bulldogs were unbelievable that year. Yeah. So it's not like, like you think of that Bulldogs team and the Raiders were, had the wood on them, you know? Um, it's not like you can't look at those seasons and say, yeah, but that team was probably good. This Storm team's pretty good, you know? But they're not of that Raiders ilk. No, that Raiders side in 94, my goodness. They were crazy. They were the best team I've ever seen in my life at that level until the Storm teams that had all their superstars in it. Inglis, you know, Smith, Slater. They, then they become the best team I've ever seen. You could almost build, I reckon, I'm just going to have a look now. I was thinking you could almost build a 13-man side out of that 1994 Raiders team who were all rep players at the time that they they were playing in 94. So remember, look, you've got Clyde, Jason Croker, Laurie Daly, uh, David Ferner, David Lomax, John Lomax, Mal Meninga, Brett Mullins, Noah Nadruku, Ken Nagus, Quentin Pongia, Ricky Stewart, Steve Walters, Ruben Wickey. That's 14 players. Yeah, I'm thinking like Brett Hetherington. I think he was like a – did it, was he a country player or something? He might have been later on, yeah. City or country player. Um, there? Um, I'm trying to think of who their last couple of players were. Have a look. They've got... Oh, there was Wesley, David Wesley, who was a yeah. PNG player. David Wesley, yeah. Um, Simon Wolford, I think, played for country. He, he made his debut that year. Wow, that's crazy. Um, this was a David Boyle. He was a handy player. He was a solid first grader. Yeah, very solid player. He would have been um, a starter at most clubs. Yeah, he's um, I believe it's that David Boyle. Uh, his son play is Morgan Boyle. Oh, really? Yeah, playing for Manly at the moment. 
So yeah, that's they also had Jason Deeth. He was a good player. Yeah. He was a really good player. He would have been a starter at most clubs. Didn't he move to didn't he become a cowboy? Luke DeVico was there as well. Yeah, yeah. He, went to, he went to the Cowboys, then to the Warriors, and then South finished up there. DeVico, he was a starter at nearly every other club. <laughs> yeah. We ended up at Newcastle, but he played 194 games. Yeah. Um, just insane squad. It was crazy. But the, when you were watching them, like, you knew it. Like, it, it wasn't like you had to look at the record books to work out where they stood. Like, you were watching this team and you were like, holy crap, they're amazing. And the funny thing was that their forward pack was probably um, – it, it was talked about less than their back line because their back line was crazy. But their forward pack w- was one of the best forward packs that any team's put together. Yeah. Look at their uh... – List of try scorers for the year. Jason Croker, 22. Brett Mullins, 22. Ruben Wickey, 15. Mal Meninga, 13. Nadruku, 12. Nagus, 11. Clyde, 10. Steve Walters at Hooker scored nine fucking tries. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many plays in that team you could make, and I'm not saying they are. But you could make some damn good arguments that they were the best in their position of all time. Like, you could make a really good argument that Bradley Clyde was the best lock of all time. You could make a really good argument that Ricky Stewart was the best halfback of all time. You could make a really good argument that Steve Walter was the best hooker of all time. It's insane. It's yeah. absolutely insane. The, the funny thing is, Jason Croker, I mean, a lot of people think of him as the second rower because that's where he ended up his career. Mm-hmm. In 94, he played wing, 5'8", second row, lock, <laughs> yeah. And he often often played as a roving um, lock um, whenever Clyde was off the field. Um, he, he would slot in at centre occasionally if there, were, if there was an injury out there or if they just needed to shuffle things around. He, just, he was their versatile player. He was their Luke Lewis, so to speak. Yeah, and there, I mean, has there ever been a utility better than him? Like... You think when I think of utility players that are really, really good, I think of someone like a Craig Wing, who could come in at hooker and be really, really good. You could play him at halfback or five eighth, and he would do a pretty good job. You could even at a stretch throw him in the back line, and he wouldn't let you down. But he was Croker was a big dude with that was deceptively quick. Like he was fast. He had incredible footwork for someone his size. And you could literally put him anywhere on the field. Well, there's one player, and this is the only player I know of, Mm. who has played at least one game in first grade Mm -hmm. in every single position. And he played in the 80s and 90s. His name was Alan Wilson. Mm -hmm. Two games at fullback, 19 games on the wing, one game at centre, four at five-eighths, one at halfback, one at prop, eight at hooker, 31 in the second row, 25 at lock, and 17 off the bench. <laughs> That's insane. It's not even like he played just a few here and there. It was like everywhere for a lot of games. Yeah. That's insane. Unbelievable player. Um, played two games for New South Wales in the 1989 State of Origin Series too. Damn. 
Luke Lewis was Luke Lewis is right up there. Like he never played hooker or front row. Front row. Oh no, was it fullback? I don't know. It was one of those. He only missed one or two positions. I'm almost certain he we would have played fullback at some point. Well, yeah. I've got a database. Let's check it out. Yeah, have a look. Um, <laughs> if only we had somebody that had these stats. Yeah. Um, no, never played fullback. Really? I would wing have thought he center, would have even at the Panthers. He's got wing, centre, five eight, halfback, second row, lock and bench. So he didn't play fullback, he didn't play prop. Wow. I mean, I only said that. <laughs> I, t- I tell you, it's weird how, because it's weird how you think of a utility player. Like, you could look at like Tony Carroll as a utility player as well, just for the fact of he was an unbelievable player in the centres, like a rep player in the centres, but he could also play in the forward pack if you asked him to without yeah. any problems. Absolutely. But that, yes. but that's still pretty limited compared to the guys we're talking about as well. Oh, Alan Wilson. And the thing about Alan Wilson too, like a lot of people might think that, oh, you know, he just he just evolved through his career and he just played different positions as he changed and got older you know he just become a forward um no i think in 1989 he played three or four games in a row on the wing and his next game after that was in the was prop and then he went to five eighth then center then second row that just sort of it literally did just go anywhere and he just moved anywhere they wanted to and he just did the job that's nuts so i a lot of people used to call um, back in the twenties Jimmy Craig as Mister Versatile. I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, Jimmy, but Alan Wilson's got you covered, mate. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got to be number one, doesn't he? <laughs> I'm, I'm ranking him number one. People need to know more about Alan Wilson. He's an absolute legend. If you're listening, mate, I'd love to have you on. <laughs> Can you imagine the stories he has? I'd love to ask him, like, what happens when you're a winger one week and then the coach says, we need you to fill in a prop this week. Like how, what is the dread level? <laughs> like, do you start thinking to yourself, man, what did I do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd, I'd just be fascinated to hear how he prepared for each role and was just able to do it perfectly fine and, and constantly do it his whole career. That's just fascinating to me how someone can be that versatile. Yeah. The entirety of their career and make it work. Unbelievable. It really is, isn't it? Like, it's crazy. I wonder how how uh, Crocker did it. Because he, he moved around a bit and, and was asked to be, like, there was a lot of times, as you said, he just was thrown out there to be a footy player. Um, yeah, he was... I mean, he, he was a little bit more slightly built when he first came onto the scene. He's still a solid sort of guy, but as he got older, he got a bit more stocky, and so he was just destined to be in the back row. But he had um, very good hands. Mm. I don't think people realise just how good of a, a ball player he was. Yeah, he was very good. You know, he, he reminds me a little bit of um, Tyrone Peachy, just in the sense of, you know, you could have thrown him out there and just said, go and play football. Yeah. And it was going to be fine. He was going to work it out. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the most underrated players in that, that Raider side through the 90s. Without question. And, and, like, understandably, like, look at his teammates. Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of Hall of Famers. I was thinking, actually, the other day about that 94 season. And 
because you think of uh, Tom Trebojevic this year and the way he has come out and played footy this year since coming back from um, slipping over in the shower. Um, and I, I was kind of lining that up against when all of a sudden Brett Mullins just exploded in 94. And I think he scored something like, I felt like it was something like 11 tries in four games. It was something ridiculous. Yeah, he did. Um, he was, uh, God, I can't remember what it was. There was a period there in the midway through the season. Yeah, and it, it was like the, yeah, I think the first one was might have been against the Knights. And no, no, that, like, that was the last one. So he had three oh, tries against the Sharks in round 16. Yeah. Round 17, four tries against South, and then round uh, – so, yeah, the round after that, he played against Newcastle and scored four tries there, and I think three of those were length of the field ones. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen a fullback dominate a team as as easily as he did against the Knights that night. Uh, that game, it's it's one of the few regular season games that just always sticks in my head. Mm, same here. I remember, I remember going when we went back to school, and we were just all like, you couldn't believe what you'd seen. No, because you like people need to remember back then you weren't watching every single game because they just weren't on TV. So I only seen a couple of games, and so you didn't have this this database in your head of like thousands and thousands of games back then that you'd seen. And so to see Brett Mullins just, just it was just like a bomb went off in the competition. Yeah. And it, yeah, he just, it, the Knights were helpless that night. Yeah. They, I mean, they were just eviscerated. All they did was turn up and just prayed for fucking full time. Yeah, and you know it's crazy because there's not too many players that have had the ability to do that to another team, and one of the players that has that ability, Latrell Mitchell, he could do that to a team where it doesn't matter what happens, he is going to eviscerate them, and there's nothing they're going to do about it. And if he can just get it together, he will be that player. You just oh, hope that he does it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I. He's close. He's close. As I said, he, he sorts that discipline out. Um, I think they'll be talking about him as, you know, we'll all be talking about him as one of the great fullbacks in short time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, the fact that we're even speaking of, of him in Inglis, and we're not saying he's at Inglis's level. But the fact that we're talking about them in the same sentences says a lot. Yeah. Um, what else happened in the news today? I tell you what, we got an email we could read. Now, there's a good idea. Let's do that instead. Okay, we've got an email from Lightning McQueenbean, who is a long-time listener of ours. And he said, G'day, cunts. Struth, it's been good to have Andrew back on the podcast. Freaky did a solid job in your absence, but now you're back. Fucking bang. We're on. <laughs> it's funny because you were talking about that before the podcast. <laughs> I have just finished watching the Eels versus Storm game, and as a proud Eels fan, I'm struggling to think of a game in the last few years where I felt this much pride as a fan. Bloody good to get one over the Storm. Watch the South versus Roosters game this round as well. And while I won't bang on too much about Latrell's hit, 
I will say this. He and a couple of other boys in the team look to be awful sports and not the kind of blokes you'd ever want to play with, uh, play for or with. Grubby tactics, niggling, and bad tempers have marred a fairly good year for the Bunnies, and I sincerely hope they get out of their game so- get it out of their game sooner rather than later. Fuck Philandy's ball and all the shit chewing cunts that like it. <laughs> <laughs> the sooner he's gone, the better. Stay safe, everyone. Lightning McQueenbian. That's a good email, that one. A very good email. Thanks for yeah. that, mate. Yeah, thank you. And for anybody that wants to know, Lightning McQueenbian is the one that put together the intro for the start of this episode. And he explicitly said that he wanted people to know it was him. And he sent us an invoice. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk with our people and we'll get that paid. Don't you worry about that, mate. Um, Freaky's got some Ponzi coin. He'll just, you might just siphon some funds off that and send it your way. At this point, I don't have some Ponzi coin. I have a lot of Ponzi coin. <laughs> I'm going good. Um, so yeah, you'll get you'll get a few Ponzi coin. You might also get asked to buy some Amway stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, every time just... I see, every time I hear Cooper Cronk talk, and I feel like he's going to start selling Amway. <laughs> It just feels like that sort of dude. He does a bit. Um, that's I, I, I can't argue with too much of it either. This South team has they've been gradually getting a little bit grubbier. Mm-hmm. Not to the point where it's anything of any concern for me. I just go, yeah, you know, they're just playing the game a little bit harder than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So be it. Um, everyone else just needs to catch up or get left behind pretty much. That's sort of my attitude to it. But you've, so long as you have it in a controlled state, so to speak, and it's not getting too bad or no one's getting injured, I don't mind it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's when you when you take it too far, I just go, yeah, you know what, that's just been fucking stupid now. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, like, that can get to some teams. But the very, very worst opponent you can have is the, like, the monster, the heartless monster that you cannot get to and you cannot stop, like the Shane Webke, who just keeps coming at you, he's coming at you, he's coming at you, he's coming at you, he's not saying anything, he's not doing anything, it's just 80 minutes of this bastard who does not stop. Jason Talmalolo is the same way. It's like there's no niggle, there's no nothing, but you cannot stop him. And it's I would sometimes want to talk to players or, or a team and say, the worst thing you can be to an opposition is that. Not the niggling stuff. Because the niggling stuff, it's very easy to get put your own game off with it. But when you're that just unstoppable monster that's got no heart and soul, there's no stopping that. Kind of reminds me of possibly one of the first players to be like that was actually Daly Messenger. Yeah. And there's a game in 1909 or 1910, mm. and um, very prolific try-scoring winger for South, Tommy Anderson, had the job of marking up against Daly Messenger in a game. Mm-hmm. And Anderson's come in, he's gone, right, I'm just going to go out there, I'm going to rush up on Daly all game, I'm going to smash him in every tackle. I'm going to destroy him. 
I'm going to prove to everyone that I'm as good as Daily Messenger. That was his attitude. Mm-hmm. And every time he did it, Messenger just, just popped straight up really quick, played the ball, played as if nothing was bothering him, um, scored a few tries, led East to the win. And apparently after the game, Tommy Anderson um, was reportedly to have, you know, some of the quotes were saying he's lost his lost his spark or he's lost his edge. Yeah. And he barely played football after that. He went from being someone who actually went on the Kangaroo Tour in 1908-09, played for New South Wales, scored four tries in New South Wales' first game against Queensland. And then spaced two and a half years and one encounter with Daly Messenger. Didn't see him. Went to war in World War One. Mm-hmm. I. I believe he may have had a few, um, a few incidents with some of the... Um, Local females mm-hmm. <laughs> often spent time being treated for VD and whatnot. <laughs> he enjoyed himself when he was out on the war on the war front. Why not? Good luck to him. <laughs> so there you go. That was an interesting little trip down memory lane that no one was expecting. Isn't it cool when there's a there's a great of the game and the in like you know that they're great. You've watched them be great. You've seen them. You've seen them achieve things and stuff. But then, in the moment, you see them do something that it's like I'm watching. I'm watching the greatness right here. Like I think of. Remember that game that Darren Lockyer broke his face in last game he played. Yes. And you saw him get his face smashed, and he helped, wanted to hold his face together. And he knew his face was smashed, and this is before the HIA or anything. And he stayed out there, and you were like, oh, my God, the great Darren Lockyer is doing this. And, like, he played extra time and kicked the winning field goal, and it was, you just knew you were watching him. And it was like, I, I love moments like that where you watch the greatness of the, the player. Like, there was a couple of games... I think it was last year with uh, Jason Tomalolo, where he, he, like one week he broke the record for metres made by a forward. And then I think he broke it the next week as well, where you're watching it and you're like, oh, like this is, I'm watching the great Jason Tomalolo right now. Every time he runs the ball, look, the great Jason Tomalolo's get the ball again. I love those moments. Yeah. Being able to see it. Um as it happened, you don't get that very often. No, right? pretty much you don't. Right. You don't learn about greats until after the fact. Yeah, yeah. But then when you, but the rare moments where you're watching it and yeah. you're like, yeah, acknowledging it at that moment, like um, Benji Marshall 2008 World Cup final, where you were yeah. like, oh my god, this is the great Benji Marshall changing the history of the entire sport. Yeah, that was amazing. That was insane. That he just that that final play where he, um, yeah, they they got that try in the corner. Just look at him going. No one else could have done that. No, I was at that game, and I was behind the try. I was like in the stand behind the try line, and I was like middle of. I was up the middle of the first concourse and like the middle of the field, really good position. And that's the thing about Suncorp, like the even sitting there, the seats were amazing. Yeah. And I remember watching it and I was with a friend like, 
oh my I, I actually turned to them and said oh my god this is happening and it like the whole there was this feeling in the stadium of like what the fuck <laughs> thousand people feeling the same way of like holy shit fucking new zealand's winning this game and yeah it was it was incredible where wow. i just say i've only ever um witnessed that yeah one other time yeah and that was the 2016 grand final it's the only oh. grand final i've been to yeah i went along and that there was a brief period of maybe two seconds it felt like minutes yeah straight after full time was finally sounded it felt like everyone just went quiet for a second gone oh fuck the sharks actually won <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying that the shit's the sharks it's just you can tell like obviously i'm sitting around a lot of sharks fans during that yeah. game because that's pretty much all that was at the game and as the game started to ebb and flow like the sharks were dominating um melbourne in the first half but they yeah. barely they were barely in front of half time and when melbourne got that first try in the second half you could you could just hear all of the sharks hearts sinking like they're gone mm-hmm. oh fuck we've had our chance that's it we've lost another grand final yeah and so when they finally got that win it's like oh shit it actually we actually won and then they're just massive euphoria i went that's when they they were in that moment, that little second there, that's just it sunk in. Yeah, they going. That was fucking insane to be around that. Yeah, and it's it's hard to describe. Like what? The, like I'm thinking, what did it sound like? It, it sounds like it sounds like fifty thousand people. It's not a cheer, right? And it's not silence. It's that fifty thousand people sort of mumbling to each other, like like holy shit, this is happening. But it's a, it's an excited mumbling, yeah. and it, it makes an atmosphere that's very very interesting. That's really hard to describe, and m- maybe you don't even know it unless you've been in that atmosphere. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty rare to come across. Yeah, it's like that's it's a real special moment. I uh, man, we could have done a whole other podcast about this great moments, like when you like I well, think we, of, we, can, we can save it if you want. <laughs> We already talked about some of the best ones. Well, you're not best ones. It's just a Sharks Grand Final win. That's true. <laughs> we, we all know what they were doing to earn that one. No, that was you. They were all legit. Yeah, they were legit. They they didn't break the salary cap that year. Now, nope. the year before and the year after. Yeah, that's that's a different matter. They don't matter. They weren't the premiership winning years. They don't count. True. Who cares? True. Um, now, apparently, just quickly, yes. Josh Dugan could be about to cop a $255,000 fine. Hang on. What the fuck for? Um, <laughs> I was just having a look on the uh, the Daily Telegraph out of boredom um, earlier tonight, and it says on here, Josh Dugan's journey to Lithgow, and in quotation marks, to feed animals last weekend could cost the Colonel Shark star a whopping $255,000 fine. How? I think something to do with breaking the the um, COVID protocols. I've got a feeling, too, it's not the first time he's done it. That's ridiculous. But, but It's insane. Insane size fine, though. Yeah, that would be ridiculous. Like, you can... <laughs> 
you can be a fucking bank that has ripped people off for 20 years and not play a fine that big. Exactly. What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> oh, it's nuts. I thought his fine that he got earlier in the week was a bit excessive. Yeah. Um, that's nuts. Uh, Henry Perinara has been dropped from the bunker. I assume that means he goes into the reserve bunker where they've just got a black and white TV. Those little small ones you used to have in the 90s, the mini ones. He's yeah. got one of those. Instead of watching the game, he's just got people from Melbourne doing street art um, reincarnations of the of what actually happened. He's got to try and decipher the art going, oh, I think maybe there's a try. I don't know what he's doing now. He's got, he, he, he has to listen to some some dope from Melbourne talking about how a, a black and white video of a plastic bag blowing in the wind is really just the most amazing thing ever. Or maybe it's a, a, a metaphor for something or something, something. There'll be some sort of artistic crap yeah. going on. Um, yeah. He's got to do it while drinking Melbourne mud in a cup yeah. and looking at some street art. Someone's tagged a wall somewhere. <laughs> yeah. street art it's art yeah in sydney that street art gets scrubbed off the side of trains down here they celebrate as some sort of artistic impression yeah it, uh, on <laughs> along the train lines we paint it brown <laughs> so yeah there's that and that was a uh, because and uh, let me get this straight it's justified because yeah. after latrell hit manu with that high shot. Yeah. Neither the on-field ref or Perinara, who was in the bunker. So it was probably more Perinara than the on-field ref. Yes. Because Perinara's got the opportunity to look on different angles and replays and stuff like that. The on-field ref doesn't. Yes. And the on-field ref put uh, he put Latrell on, um, on report and gave him 10 minutes in the sin bin. But it should have been up to Perinara to say, you know what, he probably should have been sent off. Yeah. And make that call. But he made no call, apparently. Yeah, uh, and look, I, I, for the on-field ref, I can't blame him for it at all, as much as I think Klein is a terrible ref. Um, just for the fact that when you watch it in full speed, it's like it's like watching a, a high-speed car crash. You don't actually really know what happened, and he would have just been going off the aftermath more than anything. Yeah, plus he, he's only got one angle, and that's that could be abstracted by even just one player. Yeah. Um, so he's got, he's got the one angle and I think, I think given what he had to work with at the time, I think he probably, he made the right decision at the time and he just gave Latrell 10 in the bin and, and uh, put him on report. Yeah. I've got no issue with that. No. Um, but I think he probably did deserve to be sent off. If the crackdown on head eye tackles was meant to be legit and long lasting, it would have been a send off. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know how long Perinara is going to be demoted to the reserve bunker. I just think that it all comes back to we just need to basically ditch the video refereeing for everything except touchdowns in goal because it, it, all it's done is cause more problems. Yeah. Um, what else has been going on quickly? Oh, Adam Dewey has to have a uh, yeah. ACL 
and he's new. That's a shock on that one. Could be missing a a chunk of the start of next year. I reckon the first three months of next season. Uh, so not next. Yeah, the next the next um, premiership season. So it could be 11, 12 rounds in before he gets to come back on the field. It's so terrible. That hurts. Yeah. That hurts. So um, right off the Tigers next year. <laughs> you know what? I it like I, next year. I was thinking, will they be in my top eight? You you were contemplating. Not. I know you were. Definitely not now. But I'll give you an insight. Where I'd say, I'd say write them off. <laughs> oh, you know what? I thought that they might be in my top twelve next year. Top twelve. Yeah. I had them edging towards the top fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, quick dear. one. Quick one. Quick one. Yeah, man. Who would be your favourite for the wooden spoon next year? Um. It's hard to see how the the Tigers and the Dragons aren't going to be competing for it next year. Yeah, because I, I think that the Broncos, they're definitely improving the Broncos. Oh, and yeah. The, the Bulldogs are going to have enough talent next year to not be at the bottom of the ladder. The Cowboys, I don't see where they're going. Yeah, the Cowboys are the other ones. But the thing is, they can pull out random strong performances and, mm. and maintain that form for a month. And I think that's going to be enough for them to avoid the spoon enough. But yeah. The Cowboys are able to get back-to-back wins more than once every three years. And I think that's something that they've got over the West Tigers. I also think with the Cowboys, they, they've got an ability to find players from the, their local junior competition. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that that's something that they're actually pretty good at, you know. You, you think of all of the great plays that they've developed over the years. So uh, you wouldn't be shocked if next year they, if they you know, found a centre or another second row or something. Like, they're not too far off. They just no. need to get Taumalolo back, you know, get, and get a little bit more talent around him. Maybe Peyton should move Tormalolo to 5 8. <laughs> Imagine him as a 5 8. Well, yeah. It would change the definition of strong ball running 5 8. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, Jack White looks like shit. He really would. <laughs> that reminds me, actually. I, I was watching the um, Titans play, and Dave Fafita coming off the bench, and he's a million dollar player. Mm. And. It, that's not good enough for a million-dollar player, not even close. But then when he's out on the field, he is running out and conservatively at centre. And at worst, like, I saw him push the centre and the winger basically over the sideline. Yeah, he was running the, that wide. He's getting to the Ellis Corridor. Yeah, he's like, if he goes another 10 feet further than that, he's in that Ellis zone. <laughs> he's... I mean, we discussed this in the last episode. It's where all second rowers are running now. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I hate it. Well, that's why you can get someone like um, Kurt Capewell playing in the centres. Yeah, exactly. And, and, do, and being all right at it because he's really only facing other dudes that are basically not really attacking centres yeah. or their second rowers running at him. That's right. Oh, you got yeah, Talakai at the Sharks is doing the same thing. He runs mm-hmm. out that wide. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's 
it's crazy. That's just the way it is now. It's just you get a whole heap of second rows on that. You know, they're running as centers now. Where the hell do you put centers? Yeah. Well, I'm just glad we brought the little man back into the game. Yeah, we brought so him that, in. Yeah, so that that on the fucking right, can play center for the for the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. We we brought the the little man in, then we park him out on the fucking wing and say, "Stand out there and don't do anything." But <laughs> <laughs> just whatever you do, don't touch the ball. And for some reason, they say, "And if the ball comes out this way on the opposition, you run in as hard as you can. Don't stay on your wing. You you sprint in like your Jared Crocker." David Nofaluma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You run in as far as you can, as fast as you can. We don't care what happens after that. Just get in there and get out of the way. <laughs> can you imagine those two both defending together? Oh. Remember this that time last great. year? Well, last year they were talking about having Nofaluma playing for New South Wales. Yeah, that was silly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, dear, dear. Um, I guess that wraps up this episode, does it? Yeah, we did good, I think. Yeah. Um, be sure to check out our uh, opening theme tune and give us give us a bit of feedback on what you think about it. Uh, just let you know, I played drums. Freaky played lead guitar. Um, it's just something we whipped up. Light, Lightning McQueenbian, he did all of the mixing. He's the mixing. He did all the lyrics. Yep. <laughs> he yeah. played bass. He played bass. He's a fucking killer bass guitarist. He he played bass. He uh. He also played tambourine. You'll hear a little bit of tambourine in there, maybe. Yeah, just <laughs> slight. It's very slight tambourine. Very slight. Yeah, that's very right. good with the tambourine. Oh, Clark, mate, his wrist action with the tambourine. You just know that's a man who's done a lot of wrist exercises. Lots of them. Like I thought my wrists were good. Damn. He's smooth. <laughs> very smooth. Um. I won't, I won't labour on that one for too long. People might get the wrong idea. <laughs> Let's just say, love your work, mate. Hey, Andrew, if somebody was going to contribute to Rugby League Project and all of the great work that is done through Rugby League Project, how could they do that? League Freak, what they could do is they could go to patreon.com slash rlproject and you can make a donation there. From as little as one Australian dollar per month, or you can make it one US dollar per month if you like to. Both options are available for, to you. And uh, can I also ask League Freak mm-hmm. if people wanted to support one of the longest running independent rugby league content creators there is on the world of the interwebs? Where could they go to do that? They can send nudes to uh, no, they can go to patreon.com forward slash. League Freak, no spaces. And they can either contribute one US dollar a month, which is as low as it can go, or they can choose to select one of the tiers on the site, some of which come with merchandise if you've been on that tier for three months. And what sort of all, merchandise are we talking about? We're talking about a mug, we're talking about a t shirt, and we're talking about a sticker. All League Freak stuff. And if you're on that tier for three months, boom, I send you one. For nothing. It's like, gone. Jaws. It belongs to you now. You're now part of the inner circle. Yeah. Uh, don't try and remove the chip that's inside that merch either. That's there for a reason. Yeah. Look, if you see anything in it, 
right, that looks like it might be a video recording device. Just ignore it. It's not. Trust us. It's not. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, you know what we should do? Yeah. Given how well this promo has just gone. Yeah. We should definitely be trying to roll out the uh, COVID-19 vaccine. We should. What would be uh, a really good slogan for the vaccine? Get vaccinated or get fucked? <laughs> I mean, come on, it works on several levels. I think it should be. I think a, a, eventually it's going to be, don't make us hold you down. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much going to be it. Um, make it clear, we're not, we're not pro or anti-vaccine. No. Nah. We're, we're pre-anti-vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isn't like Andrew's stance on daylight saving. Like, we're open. <laughs> but <laughs> just saying. It, another good slogan. We'll, we'll give you back one percent of your former freedoms. Yeah, is that? Yeah, we'll give you the vaccine. We won't make you COVID COVID um, negative though. You can still yeah. get that fucker. Oh man, we're starting 20, to drift. Uh, yeah, twenty twenty one has been interesting. Can't wait for twenty twenty two. When are we going to update this thing? Now you've got a different strand of COVID. Why can't they just call it COVID-20 or COVID-21 now? I know, right? I wonder the what... other 18 COVIDs. Well, I know that, like, the Delta strain came out of nowhere. Like, there was no Alpha strain, Beta strain. It was just all of a sudden the Delta strain. Um, I wonder what the next one will be that we hear about. Gamma. I hope it's Gamma, hey? Gamma strain. Just turn you to the Hulk. Yeah, why not? And make the vaccine green. I reckon if you made the vaccine green, people would go, ooh. I reckon you'd probably get a few more people going, I'll take a bit of that. You'd get idiots like me that love Marvel stuff going, ooh, yeah. That's right. And don't write vaccine on there. Write magic on there. Magic. People will take it. If you're telling you injecting them with magic, they'll go, ooh, yeah, I'll take a bit of that. It's all about marketing. It really is. They need to sort their marketing out. Yeah, they can give us a call. Yeah. We're yeah, always open with we'll suggestions. Yeah. We, yeah, you can pay us. We'll we'll do anything if you pay us, within reason. And probably that too. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, make sure, everybody, that you check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Fergo Freak Pod. Also, check out League Freak on Instagram. Is that, was it the glorious League Freak? Yep, always humble. Always humble. Um, he's putting all his Barbie dolls and stuff up on there, so you can go there and just Fuck have a chat with him about it. You. Fuck you. They are high-end collectibles. Yeah, that, that that's what Barbie doll collectors call them. Um, so, yeah, get on there and check them out. <laughs> Show him some love. Because, as you'll see when you get on there and have a look at my comments, I'm not sharing much with love. With no, nah, Andrew just keeps shitting on every photo I put up there. <laughs> To the point where I got in and he's like, you cool with me saying all that stuff on your Instagram, mate? I was like, yeah, of course I am. We're fucking, you know, we're bros. But, uh, but yeah, go and check it out. Give me some love because you'll see all of the stuff that I've been buying for myself over the last couple of years. I'm not getting enough love, obviously. <laughs> People are just pissing on him instead. There's, there's, a, 
there's a great big hole in my soul I'm trying to fill with Barbie dolls. <laughs> and Instagram hearts. Yeah. <laughs> people, help me with some Instagram hearts. Help me out. Yeah, give me um, some hearts. So do a bit of that. Um, we're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, MySpace. MySpace. Got to check out the MySpace. Everyone, get over there. Check all those out. Subscribe to all of them. Like all the videos and stuff. Like all the stuff on Facebook. Do all of that. Um, make sure you check out Fergo and the Freak on your podcast device and put on there a uh, five-star rating and give us a review. We haven't had one for a while, so make yourself famous. Get on there. We'll put you on our podcast, put you on our website. Yeah, yeah, and uh, help share the love. Exactly. And while you're there, Freaky, how can they uh, send an email into us so we can read that out and deal with that drama as well? Well, we have a website, and it's called com. And if you load that website up in your website browser and then you click on the contact section, you can send us an email, just like Lightning, Lightning McQueenbean did today. Fantastic stuff. Uh, just a lot of techo talk there. This internet thing will not catch on, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll ride the wave. It's like the radio, but more in depth. Yeah. Jeez, internet, Ponzi coin. We're just tech savvy, aren't we? I know, right? Lucky we've got interns. Bloody oath. Um, on that magnificent note, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and uh, we will catch you all in the next episode.